Thanks for coming to worship with us today. If you're new, uh, my name's Fred. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited to have you. I do, uh, if you're a guest, I have a favor to ask of you real quick um, while I'm going through some announcements and stuff. In the seat in front of you, there should be a little card that says Connect Card on it. If you're visiting with us today, we'd love it if you'd take a moment uh, while I speak to fill that out. And then uh, if you get that filled out, you can just drop that in the offering when it comes around later on. We would love to know that you were here worshiping with us today. If you have any specific prayer requests, please include those so that we can be praying for you. And uh, if there's things that you'd like us to follow up with you about regarding Redemption Church or anything else, uh, you can indicate on that card. And we'd be honored to have that. A couple of quick announcements before we get into the word together. This summer... Uh, We have a kids ministry program called Redemption Kids Quest, and it's going to be every Wednesday and Friday in the month of July. So every Wednesday, Friday, month of July, we're going to be having our kids ministry uh, throughout the week, and we are looking for volunteers. It's going to be on Wednesdays. It's going to be from 9 to 12.30. And so it's during the day. So if you are available at that time, we'd love to have you volunteer. And then Fridays are going to be like little field trips. We've got some different things planned, just fun activities to do with the kids. So there'll be more information about that. But right now, if you're interested in volunteering on Wednesdays in July, that's what we need the most. We need volunteers who can help us. And there's, of course, a variety of different ways to serve. And so uh, if you have any willingness and desire to be involved, I'm sure we can find something that you can do that would be very helpful for Kids Quest this summer. Uh, there's a table in the, in the fellowship area. There's a, a blue table in the back that if you want to get signed up or if you want to talk to somebody about that event, please stop out there. Uh, yeah, let me give you a quick update on the building. So we moved, those of you that are new, we moved into this building on Easter Sunday. This, that was our first uh, worship service here, or our first Sunday morning worship service here. We did have uh, a worship night here at one point. And uh, we bought the building back in December, and so we did a very quick turnaround to get everything ready and get moved in here for Easter, and we sort of broke down our fundraising goals into four different phases. And we've completed phases one and two, which together uh, we raised $75,000 to complete the renovations, and we had some money in savings. We didn't renovate this for $75,000. It cost over twice that, but um, we were able to raise $75,000 to get into the building. And then phase three is the phase that we are in now. And phase three is gonna cover some of the needs on the outside of the building. We've identified three uh, primary needs. One is to um, get our, our, the paved portion of our parking lot and driveway sealed. And all you've, if you've been out there, you've noticed there's very large cracks and things. And so uh, if we want to be good stewards of that parking lot and have it for the years to come, it needs attention immediately. We need to, before, definitely before next winter, need to get those cracks filled and get the entire surface sealed. Uh, So that's one of our needs. It's not exciting. It's not as exciting as finishing the sanctuary and buying chairs, but it's something that definitely needs done. Uh, The other one is our roof needs similar attention in order to protect everything that we've done inside. We've got to make sure that our roof is in good condition. And so there's some sealing and some repairs that need to be done up there to make sure that we don't get water inside. In fact, we've already gotten a little bit of water a couple of different occasions. So that needs attention immediately. And then because we use every inch of this building uh, for ministry purposes, there is almost no storage here. 
And so we need to purchase a shed, most likely a shed. We're looking at a couple of different options that will be outside that we can store some of our ministry supplies and stuff in. So those are the three big things, the driveway, the roof, and the shed. Again, none of that is as exciting as finishing kids' classrooms or some of the other fun stuff that we got to do, but definitely necessary. And so we're uh, gathering quotes and looking at what it's going to take to do each of those projects, and we think that we're going to be around $25,000, which was the original uh, number that we had set for phase three of our fundraising. So sometime, hopefully between now and the fall, we'll be able to complete all three of those projects. If you would like to give towards phase three of the building project, uh, would you just please uh, let us know when you give that this is for the building fund, either by writing that on your check or leaving us a note if you're giving cash or if you're giving online, there's, there's a place where you can put that this is for the building fund. Uh, I always like to remind you that if you just take your normal giving, your normal tithes and offerings, and then put building fund on it, it doesn't actually help. You're just kind of re renaming your giving. So we're asking for people, uh, if the Lord gives you the ability to give above and beyond what you normally give. And if he hasn't given you that ability, uh, we don't have any interest in making you feel bad about that or, or making you feel guilty about not being in that position. But those of us who are in that position, uh, we, we do have some needs that we're going to have to cover over the next few months. And so if you're interested in helping with that, we'd love to have your help. Okay, and then we'll keep you posted as, as the next couple of months progress and let you know where we're at with that goal and let you know where we're at with getting those projects done. But overall, I'm just still so excited about this great building that God has given us. I think we got an incredible deal on it. We're in a very, very good place uh, financially in terms of our building. And last night we had youth ministry happening in here. We had students in here. Um, having fun, building relationships with each other, growing in the gospel. We had a couple of new students come out. And so just every week there's things that are happening in this building, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week that just is a great reminder of what a great gift this is that God has given us. So let's steward it well. Let's take good care of it. And let's do everything that we can to ensure that, that it's usable for a, for a long, long time to come. All right. Uh, that's it for announcements. Uh, I encourage you to go ahead and get your handout ready. We're going to go through um, the Lord's Prayer together today in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible on you, we'll, uh, most of the scriptures from today will be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along there. But speaking of prayer, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word together. Jesus, I thank you uh, that we have this building to worship in, and as as I hear the air conditioning running, I thank you that it's air conditioned. And I remember um, being in Stewart Elementary and some of the other places where we met, which were a blessing in and of themselves, um, but just a reminder to be grateful for every detail that you have overseen in bringing us to this place. Uh, God, but we would be amiss if we came here and thought that our purpose was just to enjoy a nice morning together uh, in some cool air. Our purpose is to gather here together to be prepared and equipped for the mission that you have given us as a church. And that mission is to take the gospel into a lost and dying world. And through that gospel, to make disciples, disciples who will worship you, disciples who will follow you and obey everything that you have commanded. 
God, I pray that you would sharpen us today as we look at at what it means to pray and and how we ought to go about praying and what what you had to say about prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in a way that we would become better equipped for that mission, that we would become better equipped to follow you. And even, God, in the process that we would learn to enjoy you even more. We thank you for your word. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Pretty familiar passage of scripture. Let's read together. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Jesus goes on to say, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer, one of the most familiar passages in Scripture. Uh, if, if This is a relatively new translation that we use here at Redemption. It's the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, it is descendant from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Some of you may be familiar with that. I love the Christian Standard Bible because of the approach that it takes to translating the original scriptures and their original languages into our English language today. I think they've got a great balance of the two translation philosophies, which are word for word, which can be very, make for a very awkward and difficult to read English translation, or this thought for thought or phrase for phrase, where you try to and, and, and translate and then a little bit more interpretation involved as you translate the ideas that are being conveyed in the original languages. And I think the CSB has a great balance. And so this probably sounded a little bit different than perhaps you knew the Lord's Prayer before, but I think it's a great and helpful translation. We'll look at it together. I want to just pull from this passage a bunch of practical things today. I hope this will be a very practical message. Prayer is one of the most important parts of a Christian life for many reasons. First of all, prayer is a, a weapon in spiritual warfare by which we, we come to God and, and we engage in, with the help of the Holy Spirit. We engage in the power that is available to us as Christians. Most often, prayer is used as an opportunity to, to lay our burdens down before God. Most often we come to God and we say, here's the things that are bothering me. Here's the things that I'm asking you to help with. And it it has that purpose as well, but it has many other purposes. So there are some things as Jesus teaches on prayer that I think are helpful for us today. Let's look at them. Let's fill in some blanks here. The first is this. When you pray, be sincere, not showy. Be sincere, not showy. This is a simple application. It comes from the first couple of verses we read here. In verse five, Jesus said, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. 
Jesus has no time for people who do seemingly religious acts for the attention and praise of the people around them. And yet, we so easily fall into these traps. When we do things of a spiritual nature, like pray, or even sometimes when we worship, and, and, or when we serve God in the church, or we do evangelism, we want people to notice. We just naturally want people to notice and to see that we are being spiritual. But Jesus rebukes such a behavior, and he talks, he's mainly referring to the Jewish leaders and, and, and many of the, the, the well-known uh, Jews among them, and he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. The, the crowd would have had in mind that these people were actually spiritual leaders, and Jesus calls them out for what they really are. He says, don't be like those hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Here's what's interesting about prayer that is done for public attention. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Prayer comes with the potential for great reward. It's one of the most rewarding things that we can do as believers in Christ. But when we pray with the intention of gathering people's attention, when we pray with the intention of getting praise from man, all of the potential rewards are frozen and the only reward that we will receive is that which we have sought, the attention of man. So, in other words, you can do that. You can pray for attention. You can put on a spiritual show hoping that people will notice, and they will. And some of them will think something positive of you. But that is the end of your reward. Jesus wants us to receive far greater reward than that. So he says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So you see the contrast between the public attention that one can gather through prayer or the private audience that you can have with the Father. And then he goes on to say, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you pray, ask yourself, what, who am I wanting to reward me? Man, the people around me, who may for a moment reward me with their praise, who may for a, a moment reward me with their adoration for whatever that is worth. Is that what I want? If that's what you want, that's potentially what you'll get and nothing more. You'll get people who notice you get people who see that you are a praying person. And five seconds later, they'll forget all about you and you will have gained nothing of value. Or do you want your father who sees in secret to reward you? The one who's capable of, of answering every prayer with great reward. You gotta ask yourself that question. And I would contend that when we pray, we, we, we should focus on sincerity, not showmanship. Prayer is not an opportunity to let everybody know how spiritual you are. Prayer is not an opportunity to let everybody know how, how mature you are in the faith. Prayer is not an opportunity for you to, to show what big words you've accumulated in your own personal vocabulary and, and put on a show for other people. Prayer 
is an opportunity to get intimate with the Father. And your Father is willing to reward those who are praying for the right reasons. He gives no reward to those who pray for public attention. So when you pray, be sincere, not showy. The next thing on the handout is this. When you pray, be sincere, not shallow. We can, we can, there, there's a ditch on each side of the road and we can fall off on either side. We can become obsessed with, with being eloquent in our prayers and, and gathering attention or we, we can reduce our prayers down to something that, that is equally, um, e- equally unhelpful and has the, really lacks the value of what God calls us to experience when we pray. So be sincere, not shallow. Verse seven says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. This is shallow praying. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So we might avoid the pitfall of being showy, but then we fall into this rut of just repetitious babble. Most translations include that word, uh, repetition to give you some insight into what is meant by babble here. Just mindless, meaningless prayers. Prayers that don't come from the heart. Those shallow prayers. Perhaps a prayer that you were taught as a kid that you've memorized. What's so interesting about this is that Jesus says this in the context of giving us the Lord's Prayer, which in many Christian circles is used exactly how Jesus told us not to use it. We just mindlessly and meaninglessly repeat the words that we have been taught. That's not what Jesus had in mind. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is to serve as a model. The Lord's Prayer is to show us the types of things that we are to pray about, not to give us the exact words that we just mindlessly repeat. That's considered babble. That's what the Gentiles do. So Jesus points out that where the, the hypocritical Jews have gone wrong, they like to pray for attention. They, they put on a big show. They love when everybody sees them pray. Don't be like them. Pray in private. And, and that's not to say there's no place for public prayer, but you understand what Jesus is pointing out here. Pray to the God who hears in secret and rewards you for that. And then he says, at the same time, don't be like the Gentiles because they just babble on repeating phrases that they've been taught or repeating prayers that they've been led to pray. Be sincere, not shallow. A lot of new Christians get caught up on what it means to pray and they get nervous about praying in front of other Christians, especially um, people who have been Christians for a long time or, you know, if you've ever been in a small group setting where, where people are praying and you hear people, you're like, man, I, I really think they, they pray well. You're, you're sort of impressed or, or, or take note of, of how well, how comfortable they seem in prayer and, and how they just can just flow through that conversation with God and you think, I can't do that. So I'm just gonna keep quiet. Well, good prayer is prayer that's sincere. Good prayer, a prayer worth praying, is sincere, not showy, and it's sincere, not shallow. It's just you talking to God. 
you talking to God out of your heart, engaging your mind, using, using those faculties that God has given us to, to communicate with him, to make honest requests, to honestly seek to know him and to experience him through prayer. It, it, prayer, prayer doesn't have to be long, but it doesn't need to be short. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to, to uh, be theologically accurate all the time. Sometimes we express things in prayer that aren't necessarily accurate or, or true, and yet we have a God who's like a father who loves us, who, who tolerates that and hears the heart of our prayer requests. Imagine if you, as a parent, wait, made your children wait until they had mastered the English language in order to communicate with you. God's not like that. He receives our prayer. He sees the heart of our prayers. Even when we don't use the right words and even when we perhaps even don't understand that we're praying out of wrong desires, I, you know, we can become critical of how other people pray and we start to critique people's prayers. Uh, God doesn't do that. He's not like that. He wants us to communicate with him. But he's given us these guidelines. Don't do it for attention. And don't do it without engaging your heart and your mind. I love uh, something I read in a book called Spiritual Life Hacks by Len Woods. He did a chapter, you know, just different, different um, what he calls life hacks, different topics and things like that where, like, here, here's something that you can implement into your spiritual and devotional life. Here's something that you can do that will help you grow in Christ. And there was a, a chapter that he did on prayer where he talked about, you know, we come into these seasons where we just don't have a lot of words when we're praying, but there's a lot of a lot of struggle and a lot of pain when you're, when you're just kind of like in a, in a situation where it's too tough where you're just like, God, I don't even know what to pray. And he talked about prayers that he calls please God prayers. And he, and he talks about seasons of his life where, where about all the words that he could get out in prayer were please God. And how much God loves to hear prayers like that. How, how much God might even prefer prayers like that over long, eloquent prayers where we've used all the right words and we've said all the right things, but our hearts aren't really in it. Sometimes it's all we can do to come to God and just say, please, God, I want you to know that when it comes to praying, you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know all the right words to say. You just need to come to him with a heart that wants to connect with him, with a heart that wants to communicate to God. That's what prayer's about. Okay, so Jesus gives us a model prayer with those sort of guardrails on the side of the road to keep us from falling off in one direction or the other. Let's get into the specific things that Jesus tells us when it comes to prayer. We're gonna get into the, the actual words of the Lord's Prayer. And the first thing that I wanna say from this passage is this. Know who you're praying to. When you pray, know who you're praying to. Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer with these simple words. Simple but profound. Simple but significant. Our Father in heaven... When you pray, know who you're praying to. 
People pray to all kinds of things and all kinds of people and spirits and, and beings and creatures and idols. People pray to all sorts of things. You, 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 you can get confused when, when it comes to prayer about who is actually hearing your prayers and Jesus makes very clear in who it is that we are to pray to. He tells us to come directly to our Father in heaven. There, he is the only, Jesus is the only needed mediator. You don't need to approach God to somebody else. You don't need to deliver your prayers to somebody else and say, would you take these to the Father? Jesus says, pray to your Father in heaven. Our Father. I love that he says our Father because he, Jesus at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' relationship with God the Father has become pretty clear. That God the Father is his Father, that he is the Son sent from the Father. But what is our relationship with God the Father? Jesus now includes us in that relationship. Three times before he even gets to this our Father in heaven, he, is, he has described God the Father this way. He said, your Father your father, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't be like the Gentiles because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And then Jesus, just to be clear about who your father is, he comes into the words of the Lord's prayer and he says, our father. In other words, your father is the same as Jesus's father. And together, he's our father. When you pray, know who you pray to. You pray to your father. When you pray, you're talking to your father who loves you. As your father, he cares about you and he cares about everything going on in your life. He cares and he answers every prayer by giving you what is absolutely best for you. Think about that for a minute. Did you know that God, your Father, has answered every one of your prayers by giving you what was absolutely best for you? I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know many times we pray for specific things and, and that's not the, the thing that God chooses to answer our prayers with. But he always gives us what is absolutely, every prayer you have ever prayed has been answered by your father with what is absolutely best for you. Jesus reminds us this of, of, in Luke 11, 11 through 13. This won't be on the screen. Just listen as I read. Jesus says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if, he, if, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And it's a rhetorical question. You're, you understand the point that Jesus is making. No, no decent father, if his son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake. What kind of father, when his son asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion? You're supposed to feel that no good father would do those things. That would be crazy for any decent father to do such things. Then Jesus says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point being, God only gives good gifts to his children. 
He doesn't always give what we ask for. What good father does? If you're going to be a half-decent parent, one of the first things you have to learn to do is to not give your children everything they ask for. But God always gives us what's absolutely best for us. He knows how to take care of you. This idea of, of God being our father presents some challenges. Because the only frame of reference that we have for that is our earthly fathers. And earthly fathers are, are a, a difficult thing for us to understand at times. Earthly fathers don't always give us the perfect reflection of what our heavenly father is like. Sometimes, some of us have had earthly fathers that make, us, make it very difficult for us to think of God the father as our father and have pleasant thoughts. Now, I always try with my kids to be a good example. I want to be a good dad to them. I want to be a good reflection of what their heavenly father is like. But I know without any doubt how far short I fall of being a good reflection of that. I, 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 I fail to care enough at times about the things that are important to them. I lack patience in dealing with them. I don't always discipline them in the most loving way. Sometimes I even set a bad example through my behavior. I do a lot of things that when they think about what it's like to have a perfect heavenly father, they're going to have to set aside. Hopefully I've done a few things that help them connect to and understand what their father in heaven is like. But because I, because I don't always do those things perfectly, I, I, I try to remind them of the difference I try to remind them that, that I'm not the perfect father, but that they do have the perfect father. When Reese was young, she's getting ready to turn 15 now, so it's been quite a while since we did this. But when she was younger, I wanted her to understand the difference between me and her father in, in heaven. And so sometimes um, sh she, would, she would say things like, Daddy, you're the best daddy or whatever. And, you know, and without, like, um, this maybe sounds weird, maybe sounds like, without like rebuking her and stuff, I would just try to gently remind her that, that the best daddy is her father in heaven. And, and, and again, I wasn't trying to correct her theology, over, overly correct her theology at that time. I just gently wanted to point her to, but you really do have the best daddy and, and it's not me. And at some point she picked up on that and she would start saying to me, she would say, you're my second favorite daddy. And I would just smile and look at her and say, and you're my second favorite daughter. <laughs> but earthly fathers can, can, can provide a, a good example and they can provide a bad example. I can think, you know, growing up with my dad, there, were, there was a season where we had a very difficult relationship. And, and certainly I was a big part of that. I was a difficult kid, especially as a teenager. Um, I wasn't wanting to have a good relationship with him. And so th there were things that I think we both brought to that equation. And by God's grace, I now have, I mean, my relationship with my dad is incredible. It's the best it's ever been. And, and we just have a great relationship today. But it wasn't always like that. And there are things that I have to think back and kind of put aside as I think about uh, what my father in heaven is like. But by God's grace, there are a lot of things I can look back that even though we didn't always have a great relationship going up, growing up, I can look back and think about things that my dad did that helped me understand how much my father in heaven must love me too. I can think of sacrifices that he made. I can remember my dad having opportunity. He was very successful in his work. He, was, he worked um, 
most of his, his working career uh, in law enforcement and narcotics. And uh, he, he, he just kept getting promoted and promoted. And I remember at one point when we were teenagers, he was offered a really good promotion, but it meant we were going to have to move. And I remember my dad turning down that promotion because he didn't want to pick up his teenage kids and make them move to another town. I think about the sacrifices that he made to always make sure he was at my hockey games and even at my hockey practices, even though I didn't usually want him there because that meant I was going to get coached on the way home as well as on the ice. But I just think about the sacrifices that he made and those, those types of things help me think about what my father in heaven is like. You know, some of you, maybe you can't think of anything positive about, that your dad did. And this is a difficult subject for you. You don't have a positive frame of reference. I just want to remind you that it's as difficult as it might be to imagine. Your Father in Heaven loves you. He loves you beyond the lo- any love that you have ever experienced on this earth. He loves you and he always does what is best for you. He cares about you. He cares about every detail of your life. When you pray, know that you are praying to your father who loves you. But you're not just praying to your father who loves you. Because Jesus said when when you pray, pray, our father in heaven. Our father tells me that he cares in heaven tells me that he can. He cares, he's my father, but he's, he's, he's not unable to help me with my current situation or needs. He is our father in heaven. When you pray, you are praying to the sovereign ruler of the universe who just happens to be your father. There's incredible weight in just those, those few words. Uh, my father, he cares about me. He loves me. He's going to do what is good in heaven. He's got a position. He's got authority. He has power. It's a reminder to us that we're talking to the sovereign God of the universe who has all power and he has complete rule over his creation. If there's something that needs done, he can do it. If there's something that needs changed, he can change it. He lacks no ability. He lacks no resource. That's encouraging to me because if I'm going to pray to God, it's not enough for me to know that he cares. I need to also know that he is capable, that he is able to do what needs done, what I am asking for. Nothing is too hard for him. He is the God who created you. Well, let's, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Here's what Jeremiah 10, 12 says about our Father in heaven. Jeremiah 10, 12 says, is he who made the earth by his power. Could you imagine someone so powerful that they made the earth? That's incredible power. It is he who established the world by his wisdom. Not only the power to create the earth, but the wisdom to create the universe. How can you have the wisdom to create the universe? Human beings will never fully understand how this universe works. You could give us an infinite amount of time 
and we will still be lost in this universe trying to discover how all of these things work. Even with all of the advances in technology and science and all of the knowledge that we have, you know, we've got this, this um, rover thing on Mars right now. It's the, we're just daily discovering new things. We will never exhaust this universe. We'll never understand everything that God has done, but he understands. By his power, he made the earth. By his wisdom, he established the world. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. That's Jeremiah. Isaiah says in 40 verse 12, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Many of you over the next couple of months will travel to the ocean. You go to the Outer Banks or you go to Myrtle Beach or Virginia Beach or Ocean City or wherever it is that your family likes to go and you'll stand on the shore of the ocean and you'll go, wow. Remember that God held the oceans in his hands. He's measured off the heavens with his fingers. Measured off the heavens with his fingers. That's incredible power. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? When you pray, you are talking to the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's your father and he's in heaven John Piper said, God made man small in the universe big to say something about himself. Know who you're praying to. Next, pray God-centered prayers. Pray God-centered prayers. I'll have to move quickly through a couple of these uh, to get us the whole way through. This will be one of those. Pray God-centered prayers. After Jesus tells us who we're praying to, our Father in heaven, he says, pray like this, your name be honored as holy. This is one of the reasons I, I prefer the CSB, especially in this passage. A lot of translations say something to the tune of hallowed be your name. And I think often we misinterpret and misunderstand that as, as saying that his name is holy or that his name is revered. But it, it, that's, not, that's not it at all. This is actually meant to be a prayer request. Pray that God's name be honored as holy. Pray that the world would see him as he truly is and worship him. That's a God-centered prayer. <clears throat> Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much of our prayers are praying that our kingdom come and our will be done on earth? We need to pray God-centered prayers. Pray that God's will be done. Pray that his kingdom expands and grows and that he is revered and that his name is honored as holy. Okay, let's, I'll, just, I'll just leave that one at that. Don't pray self-centered prayers. Pray God-centered prayers. But the next one helps us fill in a gap here. At the same time, we are told to make our needs and requests known. That's the next fill-in. Make your needs and requests known. Start with the intention and the idea and the plan that you're going to pray God-centered prayers, that you're going to seek his kingdom, that you're going to seek his will. <coughs> but don't be afraid and don't hesitate to make your needs and requests known. And Jesus actually spends very little time on this in the Lord's Prayer, because perhaps because he knows this will come most naturally to us. 
You don't have to tell us to make our needs and requests known. We're just instinctively going to do it. The problem is, is so much of our prayer time is just that and nothing more. When we pray, the only thing we pray about is our needs and our requests. God, I need this. And God, so-and-so needs that. Would you heal them? And would you do this? And, and you know, we're making our needs and requests known. When, and that's an important part of prayer, but it's not the whole thing. Give us today our daily bread. That's how Jesus just simply summarizes this. When you pray to your Father in heaven and you're praying God-centered prayers, don't be ashamed or don't be hesitant and don't be afraid to ask him for the things that you need. Make your needs and requests known and then the next thing on the handout, especially your spiritual needs. Especially your spiritual needs. If you're going to make your needs and requests known, you're probably most naturally going to ask for the physical things that you need. But Jesus places a huge emphasis when it comes to prayer on seeking our spiritual needs. He lists two in particular. Well, two big categories. You can probably break them down into more than that. He says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgiveness is the first big category. And then the second is this, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So temptation being the second category. But forgiveness really can be broken down into two different things. He first mentions receiving forgiveness, forgive us our debts. And then he goes on to mention giving forgiveness as we also have forgiven our debtors. Receiving forgiveness can be, for some of us, comes very easily because we, we have a self-image that, that tells us we are worthy of being forgiven. Others of us, our self-image doesn't say that to us. Our self-image tells us we're not worthy of being forgiven. And those are the people that I most want to speak to in these next couple minutes. If you struggle to receive forgiveness from God, I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that highlight how much he, he delights and desires to forgive those who come to him asking for forgiveness. It's not based necessarily on your worth, but based on his character. If you, if you have trouble receiving forgiveness from God, then, then it's not so much that you need to have a better view of yourself, it's that you need to have a higher view of God and what he's like. Because he is a God of mercy. He is a God that loves and delights to forgive sinners. Let me show you that from Scripture. Isaiah 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked one abandon his way. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary in seeking forgiveness. Let the wicked one abandon his way. Forgiveness is not granted to those who go on sinning and intend to go on sinning who have no godly sorrow over their sin. So let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. What kind of God do we serve? A God who has compassion on sinners who have returned to him. A God who freely forgives sinners who return to him. 
Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13 says this. Listen to this description of God from his, from his own word. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. One of the hang-ups we have sometimes in receiving forgiveness is we're focused on what we deserve, not on the character of God. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. If you argue with God that you deserve to be punished for your sins, that's absolutely true. We do deserve punishment for our sins, but he doesn't deal with us that way. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. A good dad does not remain angry with his kids. A good dad does not make his kids suffer years after they've sought his forgiveness. So it is with your Father in heaven. He has taken your sins as far as the east is from the west. He has removed them from you. Well, how far is the east from the west? As far as I can understand, it just keeps going and going and going. Certainly far enough that I can be content to know he has removed my sin from me. And as a father, he has compassion on you. If you struggle to receive God's forgiveness, let me remind you of what he is like. Stop focusing on yourself and focus more on him. On the other side of that, many of us struggle to give forgiveness. That's the other side of Jesus' coin here. He says, and forgive us our debts as we pray for our spiritual needs and as we also have forgiven our debtors. Mark eleven twenty five gives a very important instruction. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Interesting how Jesus ties our willingness to forgive others to his willingness to forgive us. Because in order to receive his forgiveness, we, we must have had a heart change. He does not freely give his forgiveness to those who stand in, in, in opposition to his will. He does not freely forgive, give forgiveness to those who refuse to do the same and to turn to those who have sinned against them and say, I forgive you. Nonetheless, this isn't always that easy. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, well, Jesus has forgiven me. I guess I'll forgive them. In fact, Jesus tells a very powerful parable. I won't read it. I'll just try to summarize it real quickly. About a man who was in, in, in unrepayable debt to somebody else. And his debt was so, so huge and so unrepayable that he was actually going to be thrown into a debtor's prison because he could not repay his debt. And he asked that the man that he owed that debt to have mercy on him. In fact, he, he emotionally pleaded with him to forgive him of his debt. And the man holding that debt over him graciously forgave him of his debt. And what did the man who was forgiven do? 
he immediately went out and he found somebody who owed him just mere pennies. And after having been forgiven this unrepayable debt, he finds someone who owes him such an insignificant amount. And then instead of saying, hey, you know what? I've been forgiven of so much more. Don't even worry about it, buddy. He says, you must repay me now. And when the man who had forgiven him that incredible debt heard about it, he went and he took him and he threw him into prison. You see, you can't, if, you, if you're going to receive God's forgiveness, it needs, to, it needs to land in our hearts in a way that says, you know what, I've been forgiven of so much. It's my duty. It's my joy. It's my obligation to go and to forgive those who have sinned against me. And even if we understand that, it's not always that easy, right? Sometimes we need help. That's why Jesus makes this a matter of prayer. What's he telling us to do? He's telling us to pray about it. That's the first step. The second step is that we must reflect on the gospel. We must reflect on what we have been forgiven of. If you're going to forgive somebody else their debt owed to you, then it's best to start with reflecting on the debt that you have been forgiven because I guarantee you what you have been forgiven of is far greater than what you need to forgive in someone else. And I say that aware that many of us have been hurt in very substantial ways by somebody else. But when it comes down to it, when we consider the gospel and we consider our debt owed to God and the penalty that we deserved to receive and what Jesus did when he went to the cross, took our debt, our penalty upon himself so that instead of repaying us for our sins, he could mercifully forgive us and graciously give us the forgiveness of the gospel, then that puts us in a position to say, you know what? I want to have the same joy that Jesus has in forgiving. I want to have the same joy. I want to be able to forgive those who have sinned against me in the same way. So if you're struggling with giving forgiveness, I'd encourage you to pray. That's what Jesus tells us to do. I'd encourage you to reflect on the gospel And if it's really a struggle, I would encourage you to talk to a mature Christian. Seek out a a friend or or someone that you can talk to, a mature Christian, and talk to them about your desire to forgive and allow them to help you through that. Sometimes we just just need to say things out loud to be able to let go of them. And sometimes, don't get together to gossip and tell them how horrible this person is that you're unwilling to forgive, get together and, and, and sincerely express your desire to forgive and allow them to help you through that. All right, so Jesus says, make your spiritual needs known, forgiveness. The other one he mentions is temptation. He says in verse 13, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus chooses very interesting words here when speaking about temptation, but it's a very interesting subject we, we experience in our lives temptation to sin at almost every turn we make. There is all around us every day opportunities to sin, and sometimes those opportunities come with incredible temptation. So Jesus says, pray about this. Pray that God would help navigate you through life, dodging temptation, avoiding temptation. Help me to escape the traps and the snares that have been set for me by the enemy. Deliver us 
from the evil one. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us in verses 13 and 14 that no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear brothers, flee from idolatry. I love how Paul brings a couple of these things together. He says, first of all, temptation is common to man. You're not the only one facing temptation. Sometimes we use that as a, the temptation as an excuse to sin. Well, I can't, I can't possibly fight this all the time. I'm, poor me, I'm, I'm having to endure and face all of this temptation. Everybody who has ever existed has had to endure temptation. It's common to humanity. God is faithful. He would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's what we need to remind ourselves in the midst of temptation. Not how great the temptation is, but how great the God is who helps deliver us from evil. The one who does not bring us into temptation, but brings us out of temptation. But there's responsibility on our part. That's what Paul says in verse 15. So then, my dear brothers, flee from idolatry. Flee. It's up to us. Jesus, God provides the way out. He doesn't necessarily drag us through it. It's up to us to be committed to fleeing the temptation and to fleeing from the, the, the traps and the snares that are so often set. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so when you pray, remember who you're praying to. He's your father in heaven. He cares and he can. When you pray, pray God-centered prayers. Don't fall into the trap of your own little world and your own little experiences, but think about what God is doing in the world. Think about what, what, what from a spiritual perspective, what are the things that we need to be praying for that would please him? Pray for the salvation of souls. Pray for the growth of his kingdom on earth. Pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that people would, would see him as he truly is and that they would see how holy and awesome and loving and great our God is. Pray God-centered prayers. Nonetheless, make your needs known. Let him know what you need. That's what he wants to hear from you, especially your spiritual needs. And while you do so, be sure that your heart has responded to the gospel in a way that you are forgiving others and that you are fleeing temptation. And then finally, follow through with a plan to grow. When you're done praying, you're not done with the work. Prayer was just preparation. Prayer was just getting you ready. When you're done praying, it's time to get to work. Follow through with a plan to grow. This is how James says it in James chapter two. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, Stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
After you have prayed, it's time to get to work. The process has just begun. (laughs) Now it's time to do the things that we pray about. So often we can fall into the trap. Well, I'll pray for you. That's great. Pray for them. But are you willing to help? Are you willing to do the things that they actually need done? We pray, God, save, save so-and-so and save the people around me. And God, do this and God, do that. Well, will you go out and be a part of him doing it? Because that's how he does it. That's how he does his work. Through redeemed people like us getting involved in the work of the ministry. So pray, reflect on the gospel, and make a plan to get active about the things that you are asking God to do. When you pray, when you pray, remember these things. Remember that you have a father who loves you like no other. And he's in heaven, capable of doing anything that you could possibly ask him to do. We're not limited in our prayer to just small things. When you pray, pray God-centered prayers. Pray that God would be glorified. When you pray, make your needs and your requests known. And when you're done praying, go and live the things that you've been praying for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these reminders Thank you that we have the opportunity to pray to a great God and a great Savior. One who delights to forgive sinners. One who cares about everything that's going on in our lives. We are praying to a God who is working in this world to expand his kingdom. We're praying to a God who is who is actively carrying out his will on earth so that what happens on earth would reflect what is happening in heaven. When we pray, we're praying to a God who who cares about our needs, who desires to provide for us the things that we need daily, but who also knows that our greatest needs are spiritual. A God who delights to forgive us of our sins and yet calls us to forgive those who sin against us. A God that that is aware that we're walking into a world full of temptation yet calls us to, to flee from those temptations and to take the way of escape that has been provided. A God who loves And yet a God who doesn't give us everything we ask for, but always gives us what is absolutely best for us. God, I pray this week we would be a praying people. That these short, brief words from Jesus in the book of Matthew would propel us into prayer this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.